Ready for some word today? If you have your Bible, have your Bible apps, go ahead and get them out and go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Get down here where I can see the whites of your eyes. <laughs> see what the Lord's doing in your life. We've been in a series now for a few weeks, and uh, I'm continuing today. I've got some good things to share. I believe it'll be helpful to everyone. Okay, let's read our text. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so again, this is a universally accepted truth, universally within the body of Christ, that Christ died for our sins. All right, But what we don't want to do is limit that sacrifice for our sins strictly to the forgiveness of our sin. But we want to extend it to the freedom from the sin. Right? Not just deliverance from the penalty, but also deliverance from the power of that sin over our lives. So we don't go from sin to forgiveness to sin to forgiveness to sin to forgiveness, but rather we go from sin to forgiveness to freedom. And we genuinely and literally stop doing it. Yeah, what a novel concept. I used to do this, and I don't anymore. But I think all of us, all of us who have come into Christ can, maybe not in all areas, but can at least in many areas say, no, I've not only been forgiven of that, I just don't do it anymore. And I don't even want to do it anymore. I'm just not the same person. I'm literally a changed individual. And so we seek to take full advantage of the life-giving power of God that, uh, of course, Jesus died so that we could have. Now, uh, last week... We were um, spending a, a little bit of time talking about uh, how temptations come from within. According to the book of James, um, when a person uh, is tempted, it's because they're drawn away by their own desires and enticed. And so because of that reality, I don't ever want to look at what I'm tempted to do wrong and somehow imply or infer that it's of God, or that He created me that way. I was born this way, and so I can't help myself. I can only do, you know, what I feel like I need to do, or I can't help myself in in some way. That would be a wrong belief that these things are out of our control, even if any of us were, were born with any kind of weakness or deficiency in any way. Uh, we can still overcome. That's what the gospel is all about. It's not about I come to him and I stay the same. It's about I come with all my failures and faults and problems and I come to him, the perfect one, and he leaves me changed. 
I go away from him a new person. That's really what the gospel is all about. And so we can overcome. If you grew up in a very difficult situation, maybe you, maybe you endured some things that, man, they were so horrible. Maybe there was abuse, physical, mental, sexual, any kind of abuse. You understand that uh, that's not your fault, and it wasn't the will of God. But nevertheless, whatever it is you've had to endure... You can still overcome. See, the power of God is still sufficient to heal a soul. You know, the power of God is still sufficient to raise someone. In fact, that's where it shines the brightest. When someone has really come out of a dark situation. They've really been harmed. They've really been injured. They've really been messed up. He wants to elevate you. You become a bright shining light of the testimony of God's grace. And so we never want to think about ourselves, well, I'm different because, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm the exception because of what's happened and because of where I come from. And, well, again, you probably do have some unique experiences, and I'm not saying everyone can relate to it. I am saying the power of God is sufficient. The grace of God is sufficient for forgiveness and for restoration and for wholeness and making us brand spanking new. Amen. Amen. And so uh, the way a lot of this works in practical living is there is an enemy. He's called the devil. He's called the thief. He is looking for material tools to work with. He's looking for something in our lives that he can work with. Okay, again, go back to this thought. Um, When we're tempted... It's when we have desires that are enticed. If there's nothing there to entice, there is no temptation. If there's nothing in there to work with. So what I want to do is give him as little as possible to work with in me. I want to have my life so full of the things of life and God and of victory and all that. So the enemy comes to try to poke and prod and to get me to go down the wrong path. And it's like nothing works. You know, we talk about people having their hot buttons. (laughs) I just don't want to have any buttons. Or if I do, he push, you know, they get pushed and I say, hallelujah. (laughs) I'm going to push this button. Praise the Lord. (laughs) You know, and the only thing that comes out is good stuff. Yeah. And so we want to work to have nothing that he can work with. Now, uh, if you would, turn with me as well to 2 Timothy Chapter 2, that'd be a right turn from where you were in 1 Corinthians. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. If you're able to look at these with your own eyes, that would be most beneficial. Um, And I've been around the block a few times, so I know not my first rodeo. I would recommend that you read the scriptures for yourself. Okay? Uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Notice with me in verse 24. It reads, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. This is talking about leaders and ministers. He said, verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. You know, that's not always the most enjoyable part of ministry, correcting people who oppose you. (laughs) But it's part of the job, right? If perhaps God will grant them repentance. So repentance is granted, it's a gift, so that they may 
know the truth. In other words, until someone repents, they cannot know what's true and what's false, what's right and what's wrong. It is a change of mind, that change of heart that enables a person to see reality, to understand the way things really are. Verse 26, and that they may come to their senses. Notice that language. So they're out of, they're not in their senses. They need to come to their senses. So they're making totally irrational, illogical, crazy choices. But if they repent, they come to the truth, they come to their senses. Like, they wake up. And they see life different. And they see their future different. And what happens when they do that? They escape the snare of the devil, having, having been taken captive by him to do his will. All right. So why does the devil try to take people captive? So that they do what he wants them to do instead of what God wants them to do. There is the will of God. There is the will of the devil. The will of God doesn't always happen. All right. Many people do the opposite of God's will. That's because they've been taken captive. They usually don't think they're captive. They don't consider themselves to be in bondage. They think they're, you know, seeing things clearly. That's where deception sets in. How many know the person who's deceived is the last to know it? Because they think they're right. But when a person is deceived, when they are taken captive by the devil, they end up doing wrong things. They sometimes don't know they're doing wrong things, but they are. They're doing the devil's will. But I find this very interesting that when a person repents, number one, they are able to know the truth, number two. And when they know the truth, they come to their senses. When they come to their senses, they're not taken captive by the devil. Yeah? I know sometimes uh, Christianity or following the Lord, having faith in God is viewed by some and even mocked by some as people having set aside logic and reason and they're just kind of blindly believing in something that's not really there. You ever heard that, that notion? Maybe some of you used to have it. Um, but this is interesting. This says the opposite is true. When a person comes to the Lord and they come to the truth, now they come to their senses. Now all of a sudden they're they see things clearly. They're able to make decisions that are wise, that are informed. Because how many know, without the, the, uh, the grace of God and the truth coming to our hearts, um, people make some really bad decisions. Have you ever made a bad decision? I think we've all made poor choices in life. But sometimes once you get to the place of coming to your senses, seeing things clearly... You look back and say, oh, wow, How, why, what was I thinking? What in the world was I doing there? And then you see others, and you get, mm, I can't believe you're about to do that. And they think they're making the right choice. This is a real um, experience where someone has a clear head, if you will, a clear vision of what is right and what is wrong. Uh, sometimes... When captive by the devil, totally stupid decisions seem to make sense. They do. It's like, all of a sudden, it just seemed like a good idea. And then when, when you snapped out of it, you couldn't believe it. You know, if a, if a person who's uh, been an alcoholic, for example, and they've 
they're you know no longer drinking and no longer subject to that and 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 they have this thought one day while they're around a, a gathering and people are socially drinking they thought well i don't have to go like i was before i could just drink a little and uh, that'd probably be okay how many know they're not thinking clearly they're not like it's like wait wait a minute wait a minute <laughs> you seriously thinking that's a good idea right now you think that will be helpful to your life or you think possibly you could ruin it. But in the moment, yeah, that's no problem. It seems like a good idea. Amen. <laughs> you know, you got a guy who just falls in love with this girl and she's his everything. and it's, She's all I ever want. She's my forever. And so I'm going to get her name tattooed on my neck. Now, if you did this, there's mercy. Don't get me wrong. But, but seriously, you really thought that was a good idea. I, I, I know of a real instance, actually, that this guy and this girl, they were, you know, an item and they were a thing. And they decided to get each other's names tattooed. And so he did that right on the neck. He got her name tattooed on his neck. And then she, and when she was getting hers, she ended up putting someone else's name on her. Oops. But in the moment, seemed like a great idea. Wasn't. <laughs> no, you know, have you ever been so, so, you don't have to answer, but have you ever been so angry that hitting the wall seemed logical? Man, I was just so fired up. I thought about it for a moment. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to hit the wall. Well, Probably a little bit later, when you came back to your senses, you realized nothing good could come out of that. Maybe broken fist, maybe broken wall. But in the moment, we make some bad decisions, don't we, when we're uh, not seeing the truth. Some of the things that some of our, not ours, not in this house, but some of the, some of the, some of the young people have gotten into, you've seen it in the news in recent days, where they, uh, you know, Actually, it seemed like a good idea to someone to eat the Tide Pod. <laughs> Seen that in the news yeah. a while back? Oh, hopefully that's passed. What should we do today? Should we go get pizza? Should we go shoot some hoops? How about we go eat some laundry detergent? <laughs> Great idea. And it actually, it, people think, that's a good idea. I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to put laundry detergent in my mouth and swallow it. And a clear thinking person says, what were you thinking? In the moment, I guess it seemed like a good idea. You know, <laughs> you know I think uh, we all have our, these devices now and our phones. They're all connected to the Internet. You know, you take pictures and they immediately back up to the cloud and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think, you know, one, one of the things that people fall into, and for whatever reason, they think it's a good idea to take naked pictures of themselves <laughs> on a device that's connected to the world. As soon as you take it, click, whoop, there it goes. Every now and then you read about Hollywood, you know, actress, actresses and stuff, and their, their naked pictures got hacked. And now they're out on the internet. 
And I'm thinking, why do you have those? You know, one thing I've never lost sleep over. <laughs> Man, I sure hope my naked pictures don't get hacked. I sure hope the sex tape doesn't get out. There's a way to avoid that, you know? But for whatever reason, a mentality sets in and we make decisions that are totally illogical, totally have no rationale whatsoever. They can only harm. They can never help. But people do things. You know, the whole, the whole sexting thing and all that is like, seriously, that makes sense to you to do that? You think that's a good idea? It's not. In what way are people held captive to do the devil's will? Well, it's in how they think. It's a, it's a thinking captivity. And if someone's in your mind, then it eventually becomes your life. Uh, that's why repentance is in this passage. It's a change of mind. It's I'm going to think different. I'm going to see things clear. And don't get me wrong. We can be forgiven instantly of everything we've ever done. That's why Jesus shed his blood. But I'm not going to live free from stuff if I don't adapt, adapt the mentality of a righteous person. I can't continue to be out of my mind <laughs> and stay free. I've, I can see three, three areas where we can keep an, a guard up and, and keep the enemy out of, out of our business and taking us captive. Number one is I need to watch out for wrong beliefs. When I believe wrong about myself, about my life. In other words, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. I was born this way. I can't help myself. The deficiencies, the struggles, the challenges I have are out of my control. I'm a victim of whatever it is. If that's your mentality, you'll be subject to it all your days. Okay, there must be a belief that God's power and grace is sufficient. It's greater than anything that I struggle with or that I've gone through. Um, there's a belief, and this exists in a lot of churches these days. Okay, This belief says we're all sinners. And someone said, well, we're all sinners, aren't we? What if you get saved? See, the Lord changes our nature. We should no longer view ourselves as sinners, but as children of God. Redeemed ones, sanctified ones, made alive. You know, cats meow, dogs bark, sinners sin. And if I don't want to keep on sinning, I have got to have the mentality of my righteous condition in Christ and say, I'm no longer that person. I'm no longer the way I used to be. I'm a changed individual. And now I have the ability and life of God inside of me. I will not be subject to the stuff that's all around. Come on. Child of the Most High. And so, you know, beliefs like that, the, the belief that says... Uh, you know, you can't not sin. I know I dealt with that a few weeks ago. But there's a belief, well, you can never not sin. Well, what scripture is that? What promise is that? I think the Lord promises us the opposite. Now, I'm not focused on whether someone is successful 100%. I'm just focused on the power of God enables me to live like Him. To be like my Father. To imitate Him. I'm told to do it. How can I be told to do something that's unachievable? 
might be unachievable in human effort, but it's not unachievable by God's grace. Amen. And so, and so, and so that's the area. Uh, I, said, I said three. There, there's that first one, wrong beliefs. We could do a whole series on that. But uh, the second one is playing with fire. See, this is what gives the, the enemy ammunition against us. Playing with fire. You might remember Proverbs 6, verse 27 reads, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? We often say, don't play with fire. And there's good reason for that. Being burned hurts. Right? But how do we play with fire? In what way might you play with or mess around with things that are going to eventually burn you? They're going to get you. Some of it has to do with our meditations. All right, what am I thinking about? And we don't want to fall for this trap that says, uh, well, I'm not actually doing it. I'm just thinking about it. But the thinking about it will lead to eventually doing it unless something interrupts that. But it's not okay just because it exists in the mind. Someone said, well, I'm not hurting anybody else. That's not what we're talking about right here. Well, we're talking about you living free. Someone will say, well, I don't think I'm hurting one, so I'm just going to continue, you know, imagining all these kind of things. And, 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 well, you can if you want, but I'm just here to help. You can dismiss this. But it might be God trying to save your life. Because we can't continue, 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 and think it doesn't lead somewhere. Well, it's, it's the most difficult to help people. As a pastor, as a, we do this for each other just as a Christian. It's the most difficult to help people who won't change the way they think. I can pray. We pray for one another. We encourage. We lift up. We're there. We're supportive. But if you don't change the way you think, you're impossible to fix. Meditations are eating our lunch all day long. Bad environments. Bad environments are are playing with fire. Sometimes people need to get away from the sinful environments they're in because those very atmospheres are are conducive to falling. They're conducive to falling into a bad lifestyle, a bad way to live. Uh, Almost like, um, you know, when there used to be smoking sections, you know, in the restaurants or on the airplane even, you know, you know, you have your smoking section here, and you got the seat behind that. <laughs> how many know? How many know it didn't matter at that point whether you were smoking? You walked out of there smelling like you did. Yeah, uh, that's the case with spiritual climates and atmospheres. When you put yourself in the wrong one, you stay there long enough, you end up smelling like that atmosphere. And sometimes they are conducive only to failure, only to falling. You know, I, I think uh, that an atmosphere like this, a church service, we worship God, we preach the Word, people are generally smiling, you know, we're encouraging one another, we're having a good time. This is, this atmosphere, and let alone the presence of God and the manifest anointing, this atmosphere is conducive to a better life. It really is. The time spent in here in this environment makes your marriage better. It makes your emotions better. It will help you financially. You'll see clearer and make better decisions. It's just a fact. Yeah. 
Okay? When we are doing the things of God and, and doing what we're doing, it's conducive to a better life. The atmosphere is helpful. All right? But think about it. How much time do we spend here? Now, if you're thinking too long, <laughs> you might be missing the point. <laughs> but seriously, if, if we did mega services on Sunday and did, you know, really long services, still, still, what would be the percentage of time we're spending in this atmosphere for the whole week? It's not very much. In other words, I feel like it's, I, I feel like, I, I know it's insufficient to carry us through all the junk of this world. This is helpful. It's not sufficient. Sometimes we need to recognize, you know, I'm putting myself in these environments and I'm not changing those environments right now. They're changing me. And that's where we have to be honest with ourselves. We are not coming, we're not going to escape this world. We're in the midst of a, of a crooked and perverse generation. We're supposed to be a light in the middle of it. But we need to be honest with ourselves sometimes if we're being more influenced than they are by us. Yeah? And the only way I can be a good influence continually is I have to spend a whole lot of time in the right atmosphere. Sometimes you have to move out of Sodom or you're going to end up just like everybody else there. Everybody okay? You know, so there's... There's meditations, there's bad environments. There, there is what the Bible calls evil company. Evil company. The, these, this can have a tremendous impact on us uh, in a negative way. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 reads, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. All right, why would it say don't be deceived? <laughs> because... It's very common for people to say, that doesn't apply to me. Well, I'm not influenced by anybody. I'm my own man. I think the way I want to think. I'm making my own decisions. And no one around me is telling me what to do or you know, influencing me. Um, yes, they are. That's why it said, don't be deceived. And so the company I keep has an influence on my life. It really does. And, uh, and if, I, if I don't recognize that, then I'm, gonna, I'm just more susceptible to giving the enemy something to work with. I found in my own life that after I got serious about the things of God and drew close to Him, my relationships did change. And I don't mean that I cut people off or said, you're no longer my friend. And uh, no, I didn't want to be out of people's lives I just found that when I'm, getting, when I'm around this group, they talk about things that I don't really want to talk about anymore. And I, so my, my relationships changed. Did I cut them off? No, no, still friends, still love them, still there for them, still want to be a light in their life. But I found I, I gravitated towards those of like precious faith, those who were pursuing the things of God that I was. What that does is it helps us to get stronger and not be taken captive. I think about it like the faith friends we read about in Mark chapter 2. There was this guy who was on his, uh, the, the lame man on the bed. Remember Jesus was preaching in, the, in that house and it was packed full, couldn't get in, small house. And, and uh, so the, the, the faith friends brought their lame friend up on the roof tore the roof apart and dropped him right in the middle of Jesus. 
and the guy walked out. Yeah, it's kind of friends I like. You should have some friends like that. In other words, some friends who will bring you to the Lord, closer to Him, not pull you away from Him. Not, hey, we're having that, we're having that, that, that conference at church this week, and, and, uh, uh, and your friends say, hey, let's go out to eat and go to a movie. You're my friend, and that's what you want me to do? That's not the kind of friend I have. In other words, I don't want to be influenced by that. I want to, I want to be influenced by someone who's going to push me towards the things of God more. My family will be better. My finance will be better. My emotions will be better. My life will be better. Everything if I get closer to Him. Yeah? And I have been. I'm thankful for people like that in my life. And I can look back at times when they were do, I was going to do nothing and they were doing something that contributed to a better relationship with God and they influenced me to go that way. As a result of that friendship, I got stronger, I got better, huh? We should have those kind of people in our lives. Anyone you need to kind of inch away from? I'm not saying cutting them off. I'm not saying permanently. I'm just saying, is anyone influencing you in a negative way and it's not helpful? Everybody okay? I know that I was talking to some pastor friends this last week as well we got discussing somehow uh we were talking about some of the challenges for our kids these days um and uh come to find out and we know this to some degree but became even more clear how how school buses are uh such environments for evil these days parents if you have kids on the school bus you need to know what's going on because you know all the kids these days have their devices and you know and you know, and, you know, they're portals to the porn world and everything else. And uh, someone said, well, I check my kid's phone. And I know, do you check their, the kids sitting in the seat next to you, check their phone too? Because this is what some of them who are in authority and, and have analyzed what's going on in some of these situations, they can be horrible environments. People are exposed to all kinds of evil. And we can't say, well, my kid's not affected by that. Well, Evil company corrupts good habits. That's the truth. That's the reality. So we've got to watch this in our own kids' lives, of course, in our own lives, and uh, make sure we're not playing with fire. Amen. Playing with fire, stalking that old flame on Facebook. You're messing with things, man. Well, I just wanted to see what she was doing. I just wanted to see how she was and what's going on. Come on now. Be real with yourself and be real with God. Don't give the enemy anything to work with. Amen. If you're married, get on there with your spouse and look. Let's see what they're up to then. Just look at it together. Look at their vacation pics on the beach together. Hallelujah. All right. Ready? Let me give you the last one here today. Uh, What did we say so far? (laughs) We said, don't eat the laundry detergent. No. (laughs) Uh, We talked about wrong beliefs, playing with fire, and number three is the issue of guilt and shame. 
This is one of the tools the enemy uses to get a foothold into people's lives. All right? The Lord came to remove that shame feeling from you. And if you feel like a dog and a rascal and a good-for-nothing and a horrible person and a failure and you've done so many bad things you just hate yourself and you feel guilty and every time you come to God to pray you feel like you're unworthy and undeserving and, and all this kind of stuff and those kind of feelings exist, that's got to be getting rid of because those feelings are conducive to more bad behavior. If I think I'm a rascal, if I feel like a bad person, I'm going to act that out. You know how it happened in the Garden of Eden? You read back in Genesis where Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. What was the first thing? They sinned. And then what did they do next? They felt ashamed. And what did they do next? They ran from God. They hid themselves. And when we sin and then live with that guilt and shame, we often are not going to run to Him. We're going to run away from Him. But we should all remember this, that in running to Him, He's not going to point out, you know, condemn the guilt, the shame. He's going to wash it away. But we have to watch out for that, that subtle trap that pulls us away from Him instead of leads us to Him. Yeah? And if you feel guilty, uh, listen, I'm not talking about getting to a place where we can do all kinds of wrong things and have a you know, and feel nothing. That's called a calloused conscience, a hard heart. I don't want to do that, but I also want to immediately at all times turn to the one who washes and cleanses and makes new and restores because he's not here to condemn, to to guilt us and to give us a feeling of shame about our past. If you've done something wrong in the past, welcome to the club. Welcome to the reality of every single person in here. And we make a choice whether to go on feeling like a bad person, a rascal, or saying, you know what? He literally did forgive me. He washed me clean. He made me new. And I can stand upright before Him today. Romans ten eleven, for the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. He's not going to shame us. He's not going to make us feel like a rascal. Hebrews 12, 2 reads, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice that language, despising. He set aside the shame. Say, why did Jesus have any, why would there be any shame for him? He never did anything wrong. But they they were endeavoring to shame him through his life. They did it when they hung him on the cross. He's dying the death of the worst of humanity. The very lowest of the low. He knows he's the sacrifice. But everyone watching, they think he's a crook. He's a criminal. He deserves this. They mocked him. Yeah? And and we've seen movies and they portray some of the horrible beating. And Jesus on the cross and his little loin thing. And when I read history, they didn't get the loin thing. They're up there naked on the cross. What is that? More shame. What did he do? Despise the shame. Set that apart. And we recognize that he took the shame so we wouldn't have to. So we, even though deserving it, we could walk away from it and say, you know what? That's not who I am. I'm embraced. I'm loved. I've been changed. I've been made new. My past is no longer who I am today. 
Amen. But it is the, the setting aside of that heart, that feeling, that condemnation that enables us to live like we really want to. To live for Him going forward. Amen. If there's something in you today that you need to uh, put before Him and say, I receive your love and forgiveness and mercy for this. I resist any feelings of, of shame. Then do that. Let the Lord remove it from you. And I tell you, it'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way that you approach Him. You know, anything we do in life, anything we do towards God, when we're coming at it from that point of guilt and shame, our faith is sapped. Our faith is pulverized. But when we set it aside, I receive your forgiveness and your righteousness, what happens is our faith is energized. And it goes through the roof. It's like, I'm praying to God Almighty. He is my Father. And it seems like I belong here. And you do. Amen. Father, I pray today.